Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, I have author Reverend Sue Frederick. She's a channel clairvoyant, claircognizant, and clairaudient who receives wisdom from guides and departed loved ones to help heal grief and find your purpose. With her powerful intuition, Sue uses sacred numerology and mystical information to facilitate access into a divine lens to heal your life. And she's joining us today to tell us about her newest book, Through a Divine Lens, Practices to Quiet Your Ego and Align with Your Soul. And through this episode, Sue and I found that her and I share the same ancestors. And not only that, we also discovered that my grandma's neighbor for most of my life was Sue's aunt. It's a small world, and I can't wait to share this beautiful soul with you. So welcome, Sue. How are you doing today? Great. I have a good friend named Shauna, but I've watched your videos, so I know you're Shauna. Yeah, um, you have like plenty of options to choose from. Shauna. <laughs> <Shana. laughs> no, Shauna like banana. You can just call me banana. I don't like banana. I love that. <laughs> so I have a fire alarm that's needing batteries replaced. It just started this morning. I that. moved locations, so it wasn't going beep. Me and I'm like, oh, isn't that the worst thing? Like they should invent something different than that because that always happens at two in the morning, right? In super high, (laughs) so it's in like the highest part of my house, right? (laughs) Nothing I can do. I'm so annoyed by it. I don't know. You know, I'm in Colorado. Where are you at? Well, I used to live there. I lived there for many more than forty years. Loved it, loved it. And then in 2019, my husband current husband was diagnosed with cancer and we only found one doctor who could help us. And he was here in Phoenix at Mayo Clinic and we sold our family home and moved here and never looked back and he's doing great. And I have a wonderful new group of friends and it's been amazing. And I thought, gee, when you move to a new place in your late sixties, how's that going to go? And it reaffirmed for me this idea I've always had that wherever we go, our soulmates are waiting. And it's true. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The universe does conspire for you. Yes. I know. (laughs) I I literally have the best girlfriends here that I've ever had in my life. Who would have thought, right? (laughs) Yes. Like you met your best, some of your best friends in your 60s. Well, I'm 71 now, you know, and you just never think in your 70s that you could have your best social life ever. (laughs) That's so wonderful. I wish that would happen for my mom because after my dad passed, she got super lonely. I know. Yeah. Actually, my daughter is her just went to do like the market, the 
farmer's Fr- market. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. I always want to say French market because I'm from New Orleans originally. <laughs> I'm from <laughs> New like, Orleans too. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> Where? Born and raised there. All my um, relatives are there. My mother is French Creole. Dugas. So am I. Oh my gosh. So really? my mom grew up in the French quarter. She went to St. Mary's Italian. And my mom grew up in Algiers. Both my parents yeah. grew oh, up so in did Algiers. My, my mom did too. Yeah. We lived on Canal Boulevard growing up, which was an extension of Canal Street. And we had a little duplex and that was my Whoa. childhood. Wow. French Creole family. I became obsessed with the Creole lineage as being very intuitive. I've seen spirits my whole life. And my mother was very adamant that I never should talk about that. So I really wanted to know the whole history. Yeah. As I looked into it, there were relatives, women in my lineage who were actually, you know, sent away because they talked to spirit which explained why my mother was so adamant that I don't share that. So I had to, like, I didn't share that with the world until I was like pretty old because of that whole crazy message that women, when women were persecuted for talking about spirit, you know? Wow. So (laughs) when I did my ancestry, all of my family was from Plaquemines, you know, and I went really, really deep. I spent like six years on work on the French Creoles and my family. So I wonder if we're related. I'm sure we are. You know, I think and, we are too. Yeah. Yeah. And then you were here in Colorado. It's like complete opposite. You know, you go from being under sea level to a mile high above sea oh level. God. I was the first person to go to a public school ever on both sides of my family. Well, I was a good Catholic convent of mercy all the way. <laughs> yeah, see, And I was born actually in Algiers. That's the first house that, yeah, it was just down the street from my mama's house. Oh my gosh. Isn't you remember the ferry boats across the Mississippi? Oh. My grandfather owned and ran the ferry boats across the Mississippi River between Algiers oh, and New Orleans until they built the Mississippi Bridge in the 60s. Yeah. You know what? I owe my life to the money, Mississippi. My parents met on the presidentship. Oh my God. Wow. We share that history. That is so cool. Yeah. I love the Mississippi. I'm always saying, you know, some people look at it and they see it and they're like, ew, it's so gross. And I'm like, oh, it's a powerful, powerful energy there and incredibly powerful. Oh my God. Well, yes, I feel so connected to you. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're probably my sister from way back. (laughs) I know. It's so amazing. I mean, you know, I cry when I go to New Orleans, like on the plane, when I start looking out the window, because I know I'll leave. That's how much I love it. And it was that connection that really drove me to do the research on my family. And do you know, I have Marie Laveau in my tree twice. Wow. As an aunt. So that she makes me like want to go back and check it more. My own lineage. Yeah. My daughter did some more research on it and she found that we're related to Beyonce. Beyonce also has a connection to Marie Laveau. I do know that. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Marie Laveau, I have her as it would have been a sister mm-hmm. of one of my grandmothers. And then her last husband that she's actually in the tomb with, his father was my grandfather. So, you know, two different ways. And, you know, I did connect with her. I read a lot of books on her. 
Because, I mean, I thought she was the boogeyman growing up. I know, all that voodoo stuff in the French Quarter, you know. (laughs) I was scared. So when I saw her in my tree, I'm like, (gasps) but, you know, in the paper, well, one paper, there were several different papers, you know, that actually made obituary on her. But one was three pages and she was named the sainted woman. And what was written about her was unbelievable. It was beautiful. That's our lineage, honey. Yeah. Another thing I found shocking is that almost every single line to the port of New Orleans when they first came, I had found that they were forced to be Catholic. One of my ancestors, he was German. So I'm actually more German Creole than I am French. Mm -hmm. And he was a witness on the first one of the first five boats that if you were going to come, you know, over to the new France then you would be baptized before you got on. Right. And then it well, was on the black code. And also they did the same to the indigenous culture that was there. Right. And the thing I loved finding out about is that pretty much anyone who's born with a lineage in New Orleans has slave blood mixed in with the Creole blood. So our blood is completely blended with the slave blood, the French blood. I have German in my mother's lineage as well, German Creole. And, you know, we are this blend of the world. The melting pot, right? (laughs) Yes, melting pot. And we have the sensitivity of those spectacular lineages from the Caribbean and all those places where spirits were talked to all day long, you know, and, you know, I write in all my books that one of my hardest things was coming out of the closet because I wanted to be normal. I wanted to be loved, you know, but here I was this very sensitive intuitive person who talked who saw spirits of departed and had precognitive events and all this kind of stuff and just trying to hush it down to survive, especially living in Catholic convent of mercy growing up. Mm -hmm. But then when I finally had my coming out in the world moment and announced it, it's like, I've never felt finally. And that was in my forties. I was able to go, you know, this is who I am. I'm not going to fit in the corporate world. I'm not, do I quit that career and I'm, I'm here to be a sensitive, intuitive spirit connecting woman. And I'm proud of it. Oh, <laughs> Bring it out of the closet. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Can just sort of happen with me too. And I was in my late thirties when this happened and asked myself, you know, how much of what I believe in was I told to believe and how much have I actually experienced to be true? So it's been the journey of reconnecting with my soul, which sense of soul, like literally that's how that all came about was because of that, but you're right. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but there was definitely a lot of intuition in my grandmother's and my mom and her and my aunt's. Oh yeah. My mom always knew what was happening with me, which I hated. Like she would, (laughs) you would know. And I do that same thing with my daughter. Like my daughter will say, I'll call her and I'll go, are you in love with somebody now? And she'll go, mom, God, back off. Yes, I am. (laughs) But I didn't want to tell you yet, you know? (laughs) And it was, it's been, even in my mom's relative, she said that my, a sister, her sister would wake up in the middle of the night and say, 
oh, our brother has just been killed in the war. And then a phone call would come a few hours later saying that, you know, so that whole precognitive thing, that's always been a part of my life and now my work and reading people's journey as souls, which I don't read anything negative when I work with people. I only go to the highest realms for guidance for myself and others. But what's interesting that I've learned is that the precognitive future um, is impossible for us to ever know the timeline of. We may think we know it. We may decide there's reasons why it would happen at that certain time, but time and space are fluid and happening all at once. So something we can see in the future could happen either tomorrow or in 50 years. And that's why precognitive stuff is just so fascinating and confusing. Do you have any of that in your... I do. I have dreams that are precognitive. Yeah, me too. Wait a minute. I totally... I know. Like, I'll be going, wait, this is my (laughs) dream, you know? (laughs) When I was was in high school, um, I dreamed all about a car wreck. And I came to the breakfast table and told my family about it. And they were laughing about it, making fun of me, you know, and I was saying, oh, we hit a green truck and my family was going, you don't dream in color. Like back in the fifties, people thought that. (laughs) And, um, and that afternoon I'm coming back from school and a bunch of coincidences happen. And I don't believe in coincidence. And suddenly, you know, we're right behind a green truck and we're about to slam into it. And I'm in the backseat yelling, stop. It's my dream. It's my dream. Right. Yeah. So did you stop it? So you did stop it. There was we no bumped up against it and didn't hit it um, because I was going crazy oh. in the back seat. But the driver um, was quite upset that I was like, stop, stop, stop. This is my dream. Because what oh, happened yeah. was, you know, there was something that happened up ahead in the traffic and you couldn't see it in front of this big truck in front of us. Right. So if I hadn't been yelling, we would have been going at a speed that we would have hit it when that truck came to a sudden halt. But because I was doing my crazy intuitive thing in the back seat, we she jammed, slammed on her brakes before we got to the truck. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I noticed my daughter, my youngest has done it too, where she has a dream. She'll tell me about it. And then later on, I'm like, look, and she's like, oh. That's weird. And she's only 11. So I love for them to experience that for themselves because they hear mom talk about it. But when they have their own synchronicities, you know, connected, which I want to talk about that because one of the things in my journey, so like I said, I went hard on my ancestry. And since I've helped, like, I don't know, I've probably done about a hundred trees. That's part of the stuff I do. And I noticed in my journey on my tree that 22 was leading me the whole time. Now, 22 had always been significant because one of my daughters was born on 22. My son always wanted to be 22. It just was can everywhere. You, can you give me your date of birth? My this date of birth is May 15, 1976. But I know that you have a book on numerology. It's something that I feel has always led me. You know, I'm always looking. Yes, a beautiful book. Yes, Sacred Numerology. Yeah. But I've been doing numerology since 1980 because um, 
because my first husband died when I was 29 and Mm -hmm. I was putting my, that was my call to wake up spiritually because he came back and gave me amazing shared death experiences and appeared to me in dreams. He even showed me an apartment that I rented and found the next day and lived in for many years. So he was constantly talking to me. But the thing that really helped me understand why I'm still here, because I just wanted to go and be with him. But the thing I learned is um, I'm here to do this great work because I'm on a 22 path. And And so I started studying numerology in 1980, and I've given readings ever since, and I've made my living with it for the last 20 years. There are so many things that you're talking about. The way that you receive and stuff is the same with me. And, you know, I would say dreams and synchronicity are my two biggest and clairvoyant, but yeah, throughout, I mean, it's not even surprising anymore. It's like just part of like breathing now, but. So mm-hmm. your path, maybe you already know this, is the Taurus seven. Mm-hmm. So this is why we feel so connected as well, because the seven is a spiritual seeker. And even if you didn't put words to it like that in your younger years, you are always seeking the deeper meaning of life. The seven mind is analytical, questioning, inquisitive. And the Taurus would have been pulling you down to be grounded. And you probably your soul probably chart chose that energy because you didn't want to be too sensitive in this lifetime. Cause seven is a very intuitive, sensitive number. And so you kind of grounded it in the Taurus energy so you could be confident and strong and likable here. And then throughout your life, it's been which one are you going to lean into the practical strong Taurus or the seven intuitive clairvoyant angel being that you are. And those are a good balance. And I would also say that you're a writer. I hope you've experienced that. Maybe you have books currently. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo. And you are an angelic being, meaning you come from the highest realms of the divine And you intended to drop in at this time in the world because consciousness is shifting and you agreed to play a role like you're doing with your show of stepping up into the higher wisdom and helping others from that perspective. You're also currently in a nine personal year, which is an end of a nine year cycle. So this may be a year where you're feeling like, gee, I want to change things up. I'm not sure what's working for me anymore. And in our nine year, we reach a culmination of everything we've learned in our last cycle, but also a surrender of what needs to be let go of. So you might be cleaning out your closet, so to speak, and getting rid of relationships that don't serve you anymore. Wow you know, titles in your life that don't serve you anymore. And that's really good because next year you step into a whole new cycle and it's going to be your most powerful cycle of this lifetime. You're going to have books out and be a public speaking figure about these spiritual principles because it also, that new cycle contains your second Saturn return, which is the time when the soul puts it all together in our late 50s and pushes you out to the world, kind of saying, hey, now or never, you got to get your message 
to the world in a big way. And that's coming up for you in your mid to late fifties. And your kids will probably be more grown and you'll feel more into the world, able to do your work. And it's all in perfect timing. <laughs> okay. I'm totally blown away. And maybe Aww. it's the ancestral connection. I don't know <laughs> That's that. really sweet. So this morning I put this on, well, you can't see it, but it's on my Instagram. It says, if it comes, let it come. If it, if it goes, let it go. That's perfect for yes. a nine year. Oh my right? goodness. Yes, but yes, yes. That just came. This, I woke up with that. You see, I wake up with stuff all the time. You do. I also you know woke him. up. It was last week I woke up that things needed to change. And so I'm relaunching oh. my Patreon program as a membership program and giving back oh. to my Patreons with mini sessions, with, you know, guests offering oh. mini sessions. And so, and I was just working on that yesterday. Of course, I'm writing my book. Your book called Desperately Seeking Sophia Wisdom. Um, oh, I'm wow. studying the Gnostic Gospels. Even this morning, I said, everything came full circle with my book. So I want you to know that I've spent my whole life um, in spiritual study. I grew up Catholic, as you know, and then studied yeah. theosophy I lived in a Hindu okay. ashram, studied Buddhism, studied Course in Miracles, Unity. I'm now an ordained <laughs> Unity minister because I wanted to learn the history of Christianity and what really happened and before it was all yeah. rewritten by the Council of Nicaea. And I got to study all that in Unity Ministry School. And I study the Gnostic Gospels constantly. And everything you're saying completely resonates with me. <laughs> and I had a lifetime as a French Catholic mystic. And I was put to death because I was teaching people. I was a nun also. And I was teaching people that we can all talk to God and God can talk to all of us. And the Catholic priests were saying, no, only the priests can talk to God, you know, not the everyday people. And so I was condemned as a heretic and put to death. So you and I, girl, we go way back. <laughs> Actually, I've had a few past life regressions and absolutely what you just said, like really is close mm -hmm. to exactly what I have experienced in two of them. You know, also I had on Neil Donald Walsh not too long ago. You know, I watched that. That was incredible. Oh. He said the same thing, how we all can talk to God, you know, call it whatever you want it, but yeah. you know, it's not out of touch. And I think that's one thing that I think is moving into our consciousness is that you don't have to be a saint, right. right. Or a miracle. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do all have God within us. Well, the reason I became a unity minister is that after studying all of the different spiritual paths, really immersing myself in them, unity teaches what I think is the most profound spiritual principle, which is there is only one force running this universe, and it is an all good, all loving, all God force, and it runs through all of us, and we are all part of it. And it's an all good universe, no matter how it looks on the outside sometimes, but God consciousness is in everyone and everything. And unity teaches that their whole thing is based on that. And to me, that resonates as more true than any other path that I've witnessed and studied. 
I think that that is beautiful. And I'm so grateful that there's churches like that now, because I still see that community is so important. That's the reason churches exist and always have existed, just to bring people together for those more meaningful conversations. But it's a question now, Shanna, if churches are needed anymore, because in 2020, we learned how to do this on Zoom, right? We learned how to create virtual community. And many churches went completely to Zoom after that and created virtual Zoom communities. And I say, well, whether you leave home or don't leave home, as long as you have your community of spiritual seekers that you talk to, that you process life with, that you get together with, that is the importance of church because we've got to have people who are willing to explore those deeper questions. What is God? Who am I? Why am I still here? Is there a loving God or a punishing God? And where did my departed go? This mm -hmm. is what spiritual seeking answers. Mm -hmm. That's my journey started when I was 29 and my husband died and I needed to know why he suffered and why I was still here. Yeah. And you all have to go on your own individual spiritual seeking journeys to get those answers. So true. I know. And, and, and I'm sure being from Louisiana, you might have some of that in you that I had where I didn't want my children to suffer. You know, I would do anything for them not to suffer, you know, or I know my mom is like that. That was one of my, my greatest struggles, challenges, and also probably the strongest I ever felt when I did break that codependency of thinking that I can just save them from Well, let me talk about that because I think that's such a good thing to talk about. I work with a huge, probably 90% of my clients are grieving parents who've lost a child to spirit. And they have that horrible feeling of guilt, you know, like I should have done something to cause it, even if it was a completely random act that happened that no one could have ever controlled. You know, they can't, uh, they can't stop believing that a mom's job is to protect their child because that's how we feel. We have our DNA and their DNA is blended when we're moms. But the truth is every soul is here on earth on their own individual, unique soul journey. And we can't control or influence another person's journey. So our children are actually our teachers, they come in, the next generation comes in wiser and more evolved than we are. And we think we're going to control them and put them on the right path and keep them safe and never let them suffer. And they're like, hey, I made my own life plan before this life began. And I came for my own journey of evolution. And yes, you're a soul agreement of mind, but you're not in control of my journey. And that's the hardest lesson for parents, for moms, especially to say, I surrender to whatever you need to do or be in this world. And even if your exit point is earlier than mine, I will surrender with grace, knowing that you are alive, happy, healthy in the divine, and you can talk to me every day, and I'm still here, and you're still there, and it's all okay. 
that's the shift we make when we go into our soul's point of view, or as I say, my book, our divine lens, I'm going to hold up my book for a second. (laughs) I love that. I love that divine lens. Yeah. And you know, you have to look through a divine lens in order to understand that impermanence. You do, or you live in a horrible world of pain and tragedy and fear and anxiety. The world without looking at it through our soul is really a terrible place to live. And that's why shifting into that higher view is our only salvation. And that can happen through meditation, through any kind of spiritual practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for myself, it was so profound when I understood that if I was just quiet and I listened, that there was two aspects of myself. There was one listening and there was one you know, saying really rude things to me. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my greatest shift. That was it. Yeah. And that's how I always say we have this ego lens and people think ego means we're going to think we're great. It's just the opposite. When we come to earth, we agree to have a human mind. That human mind's that ego self is own their only job is to keep us alive here on earth so it's going to point out all dangers make us afraid make us feel separate from others but that's not our true self that is not our soul and when we quiet that mind in whatever way we do it we can suddenly hear that voice of loving consciousness come through us the voice of god consciousness and that voice says hey, you're a divine being who came here like everybody else for the purpose of evolution and helping others awaken and evolve. And you're the same. We are all connected. And love and compassion is the force that we came to align with. And that's the soul's wisdom. So different from how the human mind, the ego self talks to us. And once you get clear on those two different voices in our heads, you know which one to lean into that makes your life happy and productive. I love how one time someone said um, that she calls her ego her drunk best friend. Yeah, (laughs) I call it my pitiful self. I always say, you know, we have a pitiful self and a brilliant self. And the pitiful self says, oh, I'm so tired and I don't want to do this and I'm not worthy and you're not worthy and blah, 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 blah. And that voice kind of has a party. And especially some days are very pitiful days. And I think the reason it's so intense on earth right now is that because consciousness has sped up so much that the veil is very thin between the worlds and that when somebody in another country or another country event happens that is painful and we feel all of that pain, all of us now are connected more collectively than ever before. So we feel each other's energy. And if you wake up feeling really afraid, lost, and anxious, you've got to take a breath and do your own spiritual meditation and practice so that you really only feel the energy of the divine source and you're not so connected to the collective angst. Right. And it's that trust in yourself too. You really have to give yourself a minute and just trust that, you know, and just pause, you know, because discernment for me has been my most important. Because if I don't discern something, I listen to that voice just off the bat. (laughs) Yeah. 
Hey listeners, did you know that Sense of Soul has a network of lightworkers affiliates program? Now you get to work with one of our inspiring guests. And I'd like to introduce you to one of our affiliates. Brent Bruning, Master Hand Analysis. He has studied the life patterns over 20,000 people, including many individuals in high-profile positions. Hand analysis is one of the most powerful ways to unlock your self-knowledge so that you can find your spark within. This session is sure to be as unique as your fingerprints. Book your session and get a special Sense of Soul discount at www.thepowerinyourhands.com and use the code Sense of Soul. You can also go to mysenseofsoul.com and in the menu, look for the Network of Lightworkers. Now back to our amazing guest. That's true. We all need that discernment. And, you know, I grew up Catholic too, and, and Catholics and Christians were taught, and, and this is so, it's traceable when you go back and trace the origins of the Bible in Aramaic. You know, Jesus said, I give you one commandment, and it's more important than all the rest, and it is to love one another. He didn't say to be saved by me. He didn't say only people who believe in me are going to go to heaven and the rest will go to hell. None of that. And it was much later after Jesus was gone, especially the apostle Paul, who never met Jesus, and Jesus's real apostles did not like Paul. He was not part of them. He's the one that created the message of we can only be saved through Christ, and other than that, we go to hell. And Paul created Christianity. And then he yeah. still talked about things like reincarnation because Jesus talked about that. But by the Council of Nicaea, Pope, I think it was Pope Benedict, if I have that right in my memory. He rewrote a lot of the Bible and said, we can't have people believing that they can come back again and try again. We have to show that there's punishment and reward in this one lifetime so they'll behave. And he wrote the story of heaven and hell, nothing to do with what Jesus said. Yeah. Control and fear. Yeah. Did you hear recently about um, the amazing discovery of Elizabeth Schrader and the book of John and Papyrus 66, how it actually shows that Mary Magdalene is Mary of Bethany and Lazarus' sister? And she actually even went before the church to maybe even get that changed. Yes. I think and, that's <laughs> Yes. And also there's a lot in the original Aramaic transcripts of the Bible that show she was Jesus's lover, of course, you know, and, you know, then you look at these powerful women in the Bible who were teaching with Jesus, mm -hmm. and they all got written out by the <laughs> written <popes. out>. yes. <laughs> But see, here today, though, women have found their voice. Um, Mary Magdalene's getting her you know, spot next to Jesus and honored yeah. possibly yeah. after all these thousands of years. Yeah. And it's just, it's certainly a different and very, very, it seems like divine time for the feminine energy. Yeah. Well, it's time for it to shift. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think you would be a reverend at your, you know, when you were young in Louisiana? 
No, I mean, the thing is growing up Catholic, and I have to honestly say, though, I loved my Catholic traditions as a child. I felt completely embraced by God. And Holy Communion is the most beautiful ceremony. And I loved so much of that Catholic stuff. I wanted to be a nun for a long time. But it was after I left home and got out of Catholic school at the age of 17 that I started hearing about theosophy and Buddhism and Hinduism and studying those things and going, they, those people have a lot of truth. They can't be going to hell, you know? And as you study the world at large, you do start to understand that bigger picture. And I was always the weird kid in my twenties who was studying meditation and yoga in the early seventies when other people were out doing drugs, you know, I was too sensitive <laughs> for drugs. I was all about yeah. God, finding out what all that was about. <laughs> wow. Same, so similar to my path. It's, it's so funny, but you know, it's even, my mom still goes to, you know, Catholic church, yeah, my family but does. she knows all of my journey. Right. And I tell her, I've, she knows more about the Gnostic gospels than most. Wow. And that's she's received it as truth because in reading it, I found a different Jesus. I was yes. like, man, this Jesus taught in allegorical stories. He's like a Zen master. Yes, exactly. You know, oh, women in here and here's are, something else to consider. One of the great things I also learned in ministry school is that there is incredible evidence in the Vedic text, which the Vedic texts are the founders, the foundation text of Buddhism, Hinduism. There's incredible evidence in those texts that a man named Jesus of Nazareth, before he became, he launched his ministry in Jerusalem, he went on a journey to the East and studied meditation and the Eastern principles of Buddhism and Hinduism. And they, the teachers in those Vedic traditions wrote about him as an amazing, esteemed student in their meditation and practices. And then he learned, Jesus learned so much from all that. And then he came back to Jerusalem and launched his ministry at the age of 30. And he was teaching many of those Eastern principles of reincarnation, meditation, all of that kind of stuff. But the Jerusalem audience, of course, had to reword it for their comfort and their ability to understand it. And that's why it shows up the way it does in the Bible. But he was a beautiful teacher of Eastern principle, our beloved Jesus. And even when you go and look at the Sermon on the Mount, which has the incredible Beatitudes, in it to me that's the heart of what jesus was saying and teaching wow i love that have you have you seen the um the show the chosen i don't think so i think i've looked at it and never clicked on it (laughs) so i you know that's how i was for the longest time and then i had a lot of people in the spiritual community kept telling me about it now they did get mary magdalene wrong now that we know (laughs) however the Jesus that they portray and his disciples are, it's more of a, like they normalized him a little mm. bit. Like he was just like everybody else. And they mm. were all had their jobs, you know, right. they really show Matthew as he's a tax collector struggling and he's got this kind of maybe Asperger's wow. and, you know, it's just, they all have, you know, Peter's hot headed. Um, you know, I just, 
It's really, I gotta go watch it. <laughs> I, I'm, I was shocked because for the longest time, I almost had like religious trauma syndrome over grieving my religion and all this. And that really kind of fired me up about Jesus again. Well, a lot of people have that trauma. They really do because they were not only were they traumatized that Jesus was sending, you know, going to send them to hell, which never is true. But then they were traumatized when they walked away from that punishing religion because it had provided a connection to the divine. And that's what happens when people walk away from a punishing God religion to find their spiritual truth. When they do that, they often then go just in a completely atheistic or agnostic direction because they're so turned off by the God they once knew. But that's not a right path. And that leads to all kinds of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so when they finally then say, I'm going to figure out who God really is and go on that journey, then they have their spiritual peace and healing again. I love that. That's why I love churches like unity, you know, because you could help, they can help guide you through that. And I wish I would have even known there were such things, you know, when I was going through it, because it was a very lonely, very lonely time as well. Because, you know, who was I going to talk to about this? Thank God. My best friend, Mandy, who was kind of, she just had a near-death experience, was kind of questioning things too. Of course, I thought this man, you know, with a long white beard sitting on her throne, you know, was the divine. Right. You know, a white man, I will say. Right. A white man. Yeah. (laughs) And the things that we are so conditioned with are the things that we battle with, you know, when it comes to ego and the soul's like, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, do you think that there could be creation even without a mother? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just play common sense here. Well, the reason in all my books, I talk about how grief is our greatest spiritual teacher. And what I mean by that is that it's not until our heart has been shattered, whether that means by relationships breaking our heart or career breaking our heart or a loved one crossing into the divine. That's when we start really asking the good questions and going on our spiritual journey because we can sleep through this lifetime until those things happen it's when we're in pain that we just start going wait a minute i need to know the truth and i need to know why i'm still here and when we embrace those questions and seek answers that resonate as true we shift into our divine lens And in my book, I talk about a lot of techniques that help us shift into that higher part of ourself to see the world. Even a simple thing like calling out and saying, please, divine guides, lift me up above my pain, my fear, my limited thinking, align me fully with my loving God consciousness and help me see the divinity and the goodness in all of this world. That little prayer instantly raises our energy and shifts us into that God consciousness. I love that because I even at one point didn't want to call it prayer. You know, you almost get like rebellious and let's simmer down now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had to make peace really truly and just let go. We're talking again, letting go, you know, because holding on to it really just. It keeps you down. Yeah. 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 
Well, you're about to launch into your most powerful (laughs) cycle in this journey. And that's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and someone actually once had told me, you know, that part of grief, that when you know that you're finally really, truly in the grieving, like you're ready to let go is when you really start to have the strong emotions. Right. Right. And we fight grief, you know, like whenever we're feeling grief, the first thing we want to do is stuff it away and not feel it. And one of the principles of life here is you got to feel it to heal it. So a lot of times grieving people will just simply get medicated by their therapist so that they're not crying, but we need to cry and we need to feel it to heal it. And if we can even sit first thing in the morning and call in the help and the guidance and put our hands in front of our heart chakra and just ask to feel that pain so we can release it and cry it out if we can, and then offer that pain to God to turn to love, that moves that pain out of our chakras Mm -hmm. and opens us up. And then it'll, it'll accumulate again during the day. But grief is when we're walking through our day, feeling like at any moment, we're going to cry and all of our energy is going into keeping us from feeling that pain. That's a horrible way to live and it will not serve us and will not let us heal. Once we feel it, our hearts open ah, and then we can start embracing our higher selves. And even then feel and see our departed trying to love on us. When my husband, Paul crossed, he came back immediately, like even showed me as he left his body, showed me his spirit leaving. And that night he got in bed with me and I felt him. I felt his body up against mine. I knew he was with me. And then a guide tapped him on the shoulder, a being of light. And he had to leave because in the first days of crossing over, our guides are going, okay, you can visit those people, but you have to keep moving up to the love God light in consciousness. And so his guide wouldn't let him stay with me for long, but then he would come back and give me another, he gave me a dream of an apartment that I saw vividly that had huge windows and different levels and this certain kind of staircase. And the next day I saw that apartment and rented it and lived in it for 10 years. So Paul was my first spiritual teacher in showing me exactly that this is a divine order universe and life is eternal. There is no death and there is no punishing God. Mm. The people on the other side during my awakening were the one my dad was One of them who came and told me was shortly, I mean, a few days later, laying in bed in the morning, I could totally feel him. I'm like, is that you? And then I don't, don't go, don't go. He goes, I got to go because I have some work to do. Oh, right. You worked your whole life. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, it's perfect. Paul came back to me even recently, if, you know, a few years ago, And I was teaching a grief workshop, a grief shifting workshop, helping people shift into their higher understanding of grief. And um, I went to sleep that night and Paul came to me and said, there is no suffering. The soul does not suffer. Tell these people that they're caught in the memories of their loved ones suffering, but their loved ones are not in those memories. It's only the humans hold on to that suffering. 
And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, I got to go. I got a job. (laughs) Wait, what? What's your job? And he said, I help people process their lives when they cross over. And that Paul, my husband, that's the perfect job for him. He was so wise and so loving and so kind. And so he was so excited to get back to his work in the divine realms. And so he kind of ran off. And I remember waking up going, well, I want a job like that, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you do here on earth. <laughs> well, that's what I do with clients. Yeah. Now I'm so blessed. That is what I do. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. You know, my, one of my uncles died last week in New Orleans and he actually was an NOPD for many, many years. Wow. And I think he went to, he went him, he went to, McNick, he went to Nichols. Right. And so, and they all have experiences with him like the next day. They were not wow. expecting this because he was, you know, not a very spiritual man. Not that oh, they and he wanted to be sure that they understood that he was not dead. It was amazing, actually, because even as my cousin Robin was telling me about it, she's telling me the story of a dove and immediately a dove came right in front of me on the ground, even stood before my dog. I took a picture. It was so divine. It was so validating. Yeah. But you're right. We can get, we can learn a lot from our loved ones on the other side. Absolutely. But, you know, a lot of people get frustrated when they can't connect like that. People get hung up on the thought that only certain people can connect to departed spirits. Like they go to mediums for that, or they come to me. And I'm always saying, you have the ability. And that's my whole book through a divine lens (laughs) is about teaching everyday people that they have that ability to lift their consciousness and connect to spirit, connect to their own spirit guides, their departed loved ones. And to align with the highest God consciousness of unconditional love. As humans, we all have that gift. We've all just been processed and cultured into only believing what our left brain, logic mind, cynical mind tells us. And that shuts down our intuition and our soul's wisdom. We have to reclaim it, shift it back into that wisdom. I always say we have to reclaim the woo-woo. We have to bring the woo-woo out of the closet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, I know many people are suffering. That's one thing about humans. We grieve. We all have loss. It's something we can all connect with, but had we never experienced it, then we would have never experienced love, right? Right. So I know I have a lot of good friends. I have a good friend who just lost her husband. And I have um, a friend who's coming over today who lost both of her children. Oh my Uh, goodness. So you have to tell her, not only tell her about my book, but you have to tell her there's a nonprofit organization called helpingparentsheal.org that my Mm -hmm. best friend, Elizabeth Boisson started many years ago because she lost two of her children. And if you go to that website, it's a nonprofit. There are incredible videos of spiritual teachers and mediums connecting to spirit because they teach at Helping Parents Heal that there are many ways that we can connect to our children in spirit and that our children are happy and healthy in the divine realms and they are trying to help us heal and love on us. And helpingparentsheal.org has helped. They have a membership of 29,000 grieving parents around the world. 
and they have free resources for grieving parents and free, and they have conferences where all these speakers come together. It's been the greatest joy of my life to be involved with this organization. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. You know, cause you do need help and it's sometimes you're, you don't want to ask for it or just need to talk to somebody who can relate who lost right. her child as well. You know, she lost her first child to suicide. Her other daughter was in college and came home and she decided she wanted to create an organization too for siblings of, right. of siblings who commit suicide. So what she did is, is she was going to make boxes for the siblings. Cause she said, no one ever thinks about the siblings. Yeah. Well, then she got in a car accident and died. And I helped along with several mothers who had lost their children to suicide, um, create an organization as well. It's called sibling to sibling. Well, listen, you all have to look at the helping parents They have groups for siblings And they have so many moms who've lost children to suicide Mm -hmm. and you have to completely change your understanding of what that is and what that means. It's just a soul who had completed their journey here for this lifetime and Mm -hmm. took an exit that was a preordained, preplanned exit. We each have about three or four possible exit points in our lifetimes And when we come upon each one, we say, am I complete? Have I learned and given what I came to do? And a child who leaves early through suicide has done nothing wrong. And the parents have done nothing wrong. It is a soul saying, I am done with this lifetime. It's as far as my soul needs to go in this life. And they transition over and then they help everyone in their soul family heal. I work with these moms all the time and connect to their children. Their children are so full of love, so full of joy. Helpingparentsheal.org is when, when I told you I moved to Arizona and met my best friends ever. That's who I met because oh. the organization is run here by Elizabeth Boisson who, in my opinion, is an angel on earth. She lost two children and then devoted the rest of her life to helping grieving parents understand that we are still in connection with our departed loved ones and that there is no death. And not any other grief organization looks at it that way. Oh, I love it. You just said, I feel like I'm, and I have several people I want to send it to. Thank you so much for that. You are such a beautiful soul. I'm so glad to have connected with you. I feel Um, the same about you, Shannon. Yeah. yeah. This book needs to go out to so many people that I know. Tell everybody where they can get it and tell them about your website and the things you offer. So if anybody would like to get my books, they're all on Amazon and on my website. My website is suefrederick.com, suefrederick.com. And all of my books are also on Amazon. And my newest book is Through a Divine Lens, Practices to Quiet Your Ego and Align with Your Soul. And it helps grieving people. It helps anyone who's struggling to find that higher viewpoint of understanding their life from their soul's wisdom rather than their ego mind human story. And it is healing. It has amazing meditations in it you can do and stories of people I have guided through soul regression sessions because I'm a soul regression therapist 
where they have gone back into lifetimes where they connected to their departed children, but realized that those children had been either their spouses or their parents in other lives and really got to explore the soul agreement of their departed child in this life. And those transcripts are in this book through a divine lens. It made me think about how my oldest daughter and I always say that the youngest daughter, she's only 11, that she was once our mother because she yeah. was way more mature than us. <laughs> I know. I always tell my daughter, well, I always say, thank you for choosing me for this lifetime to be your mom. But also this time I get to be the mom. So back yeah. off. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Kensley actually told me that one time when she was like four, did you know something before I chose you? Yeah. And my daughter really used to channel in stuff when she was quite young and she would just suddenly be talking with this kind of adult wisdom, you know, yes. things yes. like saying at the age of four, you know, um, mom, there's other work you're supposed to be doing here. You need to quit that job that you don't like. And really there's something else you're supposed to be doing here. And that was my four-year-old daughter yeah. before mm -hmm. I had left the corporate world and started this business 20 something years ago, she was telling me as a soul, as an old soul that right. I had come to do some different work. That's amazing. Kensley is so similar. You know, I don't through a lot of loss after I had her. So mm -hmm. she watched me grieve growing up. Um, There's this one time after I lost my dad and she was four and she literally, I was crying. I was packing up his warehouse because I worked for him and she looks up and she says, mom, he'll always be with you. And she, I'm like, how does this little person know this? <laughs> so let me, let me tell you when my father died, my daughter was four years old. And by this time I understood that spirit, you know, was, there was no death, but I was with my family of origin and we were all sitting in the living room and my siblings were all crying and all unhappy and Sarah came into the room, four years old, and she said, why is everybody crying and sad? And my brother said, we're so sad because grandpa died. And Sarah said, no, I just saw him fly past the window and he was really happy. And we were all like, wow, because it was innocent and pure. And she had seen his spirit and she was telling us he was happy. Why were we sad? <laughs> wow, Sue. I mean, I just think we must have amazing ancestors too. That <laughs> That's exactly right. We are related for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's so similar to me. It's so familiar with all the things that you've said today. Um, so yeah, so thanks. I feel like it's so divine. I was just looking at my tree. Is Frederick your maiden name? No, you know, Frederick was my husband who died. I kept his name because he, he really put me on my path in this lifetime. Yeah. Was he um, from New Orleans? No, no. I met him in Colorado. When oh, you did? Colorado. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were mountain it's... climbers together. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's oh, another that's part of my life. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, closest. I mean, I, I think it was John Van Auken who I had on. And he's like, that was considered, you know, like, you know, the closest to heavens here in the Rockies. Yeah. And I was a mountaineering instructor in my 20s, 
because I was teaching people to overcome their fear. And that's outward bound. Back in the 70s, people would take those courses to overcome fear. So we were being life coaches, really, before that was a thing, you know? Wow. <laughs> and Did my you have husband. Walk on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was that kind of a process, yeah. you know, dropping people off on solos for three days and, and and getting them to climb 14,000 foot peaks. And my husband was doing that too, Paul, and we were so in love. We thought we were invincible. Mm-hmm. And he had a few stomach problems. He was young, like me in his early 30s. And, um, and by the time it was diagnosed, they gave him two weeks to live with colon cancer. And we, he lived for a year because we did alternative and conventional treatments. And, but it was a year of letting go, a year of struggle and suffer, and my greatest spiritual awakening to understand that life is so much bigger than we see it through the physical. And it launched me on my spiritual journey. Yeah. Isn't that something? I think that happens for a lot of people. Yeah. If they're able to see it through a divine lens. Well, we all have our times when we can do that. And I tell people, you know, you can happen on the last day of the last breath of your mm-hmm. life. If you Aww. shift into that higher perspective, you've still gotten it done. Well, it's definitely unfortunate. It seems like the more you struggle, the more <laughs> divine but, purpose. you Yeah, have. the more you struggle, the more you wake up and the more you find your true path. Mm. You know, pain, I have written in all my books that our greatest work offers to the world what we wish had been given to us in our moment of greatest pain. So my greatest pain when Paul crossed look what I do now. I help people see death in a whole different way and, and experience their soul's view because back when Paul died, that's what I needed to learn. And I went on the journey to learn it. And now I offer it back to the world. That's what you got to do. I love that. Thank you so much, Sue. I appreciate you so much. So fun. So fun. I loved every minute. You're my sister. (laughs) And you can look at do God, D-U-G-A-S. Wait, Hold a minute. Yes, I have. I I didn't know that's how you pronounced it. Yes. D-U-G-I-S. Yeah, you have that in your lineage? Oh, yeah. Oh, I my God, it. Shana, we are. I we know. I'm looking are at it right now. Oh, my goodness. This is so, great. Wait. And my Irish oh my father in New Orleans is from yes. Nolan, N-O-L-A-N. Um, so I have the Catholic Irish lineage from him in New Orleans, Nolan, and then my French Creole from my mom, Duga, D-U-G-A-S. Nolan. Do you know my mama's neighbor was Miss Nolan? I wonder which one. I'm sure that we were related. <laughs> That's I don't even know her name. We only called her Miss Nolan. <laughs> we have so many Nolans in New Orleans. She was Orleans. in Algiers. So. Yeah, and they yeah. were came, they came from Algiers. So amazing. Sweetie, it has been a joy and I love you so much and Um, um, hope we connect again. Yes, I would love to. Okay, talk soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast and thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one or help support Sense of Soul Podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.